You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Welcome back. We have another exciting episode for you today. And this one particularly, I think it's cool because it's a topic I was able to geek out on. We have the CEO of a company called Snapped. His name is Daniel Berlind. And if you haven't heard of him yet, uh, get ready because I'm pretty sure that this company is going to be doing some big things. They just recently closed their Series A round of funding at $100 million, which is a pretty big Series A even by today's standards. And what they're doing is they're helping apartment owners and operators and large PMCs better detect rental fraud. It's not something that you might have thought of was a big issue nationwide, Um, but this is something that they are seeing tremendously and consistently. We talk about how they're doing it, which they're leveraging advanced AI, and I'll let Daniel's words be the better descriptions of how that actually functions. But seeing fraud across all asset types and in markets. Now, there are some outliers. For some reason, Georgia tends to have more fraud than others. But this is a great episode because this is something that expands beyond prop tech and even challenges, in many ways, the current uh, methods that we go about and think about tenant screening. And perhaps it'll spark some ideas of what the future of tenant screening looks like and how leasing agents will be able to do their jobs better and provide a better experience to prospective renters. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Hey, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Nate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, I'm excited to have you here on the show. And uh, I think that we're going to have a really good conversation like I mentioned to you previously here, I've been getting your emails uh, or your company's emails for like the last like year or two, easy. So this is exciting for me because I always like getting a finally a, a chance to talk to the people behind products I've been following for some time. So as always, I like to do with the show, we'll kick it off with, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is uh, Daniel Berlind and I am CEO and co-founder at Snapped. All right. And before we get into the business of Snapped, I want to mm-hmm. bring up a little bit of background because you've got sure. got to be one of the most unique backgrounds that I have come across in <laughs> PropTech. Um, you, you, you did a little bit of a career pivot before PropTech. Yeah. What were you doing I, before PropTech? Yeah, so, so prior, to, prior to PropTech, I was, a, uh, I was a minor league baseball player. So I played with the uh, uh, Minnesota Twins and the Chicago Cubs for about, uh, about six years. Yeah. And what position did you play? Uh, I was a pitcher. So uh, depending on you know where I was in the system, sometimes a starter, sometimes a setup guy, sometimes closer, sometimes long relief, um, just kind of whatever whatever they needed. All right. So the obvious question here is then, do all of your coworkers, do, do they all put up with nonstop baseball analogies or do you find <laughs> other ways of relating business to uh, you know other things in life outside of baseball? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm probably I'm probably pretty guilty of that. Between between the baseball analogies and the car analogies, it's uh, it's pretty exhausting <laughs> working with me. There's no doubt about that. 
Look, so long as you're not walking into the office with a giant cheek full of big league chew like John mm-hmm. Cruck and, you know, or, or you know, Lenny Dykstra, uh, <laughs> you know, and spitting into a cup. I think we're, we're all good here. Well, yeah, not anymore. Um, just showing off a little bit of that mid 90s uh, baseball that I was saying that I that's all I knew about. Well, let's get into snapped here. Um, we'll, we'll start with the top here at, at the mm-hmm. biggest level. What is the problem that snapped is focused on solving for? Yeah, so um, Snapped is uh, really solving the problem that my co-founder and I were experiencing at our, our business previous to Snapped. So, so both Noah and I, we come from uh, a background in property management. So um, I owned a property management company here in Los Angeles, and so did Noah. Uh, between our two businesses, you know, we owned and managed about 500 units. And uh, what Noah and I were both noticing was that applicants were submitting fake financial documents when trying to apply to our uh, vacant units. Um, And I would imagine like most people listening to this, uh, we assumed that something like Snapped must exist. And in fact, we figured that there were many Snapped's out there and Noah and I, you know, decided like, hey, we're both going to go off and do our own research and then we'll kind of figure out which one of the many you know, fraud detection companies out there will you know, make the most amount of sense for our businesses. Uh, and we were incredibly shocked to find that, that nothing like this existed. So, so the, even all the like, employee verification services and things like that really don't provide like, the level of screening that you're saying to, to be able to screen tenants for what they're saying is real or, or not real when they're submitting their application is what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the problem that we found is is it's incredibly easy to either alter or create from a pixel perfect template you know a bank statement or a pay stub and there certainly are some employment verification businesses out there but one of the issues that we ran into well there's a few issues that we ran into the first one is the the turnaround time for some of these employment verification services um, which would sometimes that, that HR window that they have to respond was, was outside of a reasonable amount of time to try to make a decision on an applicant. But the other piece was actually what these HR departments would sometimes share with the service, which are, yes, this person does work here, but they would not verify that person's income. So what we were hoping for was something that could not only tell us whether or not this person has a job, but also verify that what their income is. But I think even as importantly is that is also, well, what happens with people that are self-employed? So what we were really looking for was something that was a catch-all of, can I verify what this person's income is? And can I verify what their spending is? And unfortunately we, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, at the time we weren't able to find anything that, that could do that. And this just seemed like the best way of solving that issue. I'm so glad you mentioned the self-employed piece. Um, mm-hmm. Some of some of the listeners may know that you know back in the day when Technest started, I was running an uh, an agency that was focused on working with early stage prop techs and scaling their growth through paid media, and I had to move from from Nashville back up to the Northwest, and I got an apartment and secured it sight unseen. I was the and but you know self-employed income and right. didn't really have a way of saying it was going to be regular income. It still wasn't regular income being a small agency. Um, now, as a as a top tier tenant, but also Clearly. as a landlord, I knew like, what are all the things that this, you know, this landlords and I just like went and found like 
multiple mutual acquaintances and like had them all write emails and do all this stuff proactively because I needed her to believe that we really did have what we said we had right so that we could get the apartment otherwise i i had no shot in being able to move because even as the tenant i was unable to prove to people in a way that they were satisfied so so then you know all these others you're talking about you know the, there's no other real services there's hr departments so i guess like break it down for me like how is how, how does a, a property manager actually use in snapped what's that process look like because obviously there's already the application process so where does mm -hmm snapped integrate come in you know that sort of thing yeah great question so you know obviously with our with our background we understood uh intimately that interrupting the application flow or or really even trying to augment the rental application process was uh dangerous territory and something we needed to be obviously very very cautious about so what we decided to do was build our platform in a way where we don't interrupt or really even interact with the actual filling out of the rental application at all. Now, what the vast majority of our customers do um, is they will remove the, re the, the document upload portion of their application just so that applicants don't need to upload documents twice because um, nobody wants to do that. But aside from removing your own document upload portion of your application, we don't touch that process at all. So what happens is the applicant fills out the application and then once they've uh, finalize the application, they will then receive an email. Um, that email has a link in it, and that link is specific to the property that they have just applied to. So all the applicant needs to do is click on that link. It then brings them to our document upload page, where all they do is they type in their first name, last name, unit they applied to, email address, and then they upload their own financial documents. Once they upload those documents, those documents immediately hit our servers. And then within a couple of hours, we then return a report back to the leasing team, the property management or the owner, what have you. Um, and the report is incredibly simple. Um, it only has two possible outcomes. So about 88% of the time in big, bold green letters, we write that the document is clean um, or about 12% of the time, which is our national fraud rate. Um, they'll get a report back that has in big, bold red letters, the word edited. Um, and then we provide some sort of high level proof about what about the document is inauthentic. So hold on, let me, let me understand this correctly. 12% mm -hmm of yeah. the applications that come through contain some level of e even if not technically fraud some sort of like manipulation editing not likely to be yeah. a true that's a that's a lot <laughs> it's so much more than what we expected um it is look when when again you know when we built this business there, there was no data out there um, there was one TransUnion article that kind of threw out some, some data, but mm -hmm. prior to us, there, there wasn't anybody that was really looking at this. So, um, our internal, you know, guess was two, three, four, maybe 5%. Mm -hmm. Uh, but to think that one out of every eight applicants nationwide, uh, not even, we could have predicted this. I'm going to go ahead and toot my own horn here that if you go ahead and Google tenant fraud at the moment, number four is a article that uh, my previous marketing team at Avail that we architect okay. wrote. But I will say two positions above that is snapped, uh, which is above oh, right on. Uh, the <laughs> USA.gov and talking about um, some of the trends and, and some of the things. So obviously this is, you know, it's quite a bit of an issue. 
Um, and I, I want to get I want to get a little bit deeper into like the asset types, maybe markets and things where we start mm -hmm. seeing some differences between the frauds. But um, I want to back up just a little bit because one of the 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 real secret sauces here, and not asking you to give away the recipe, is that you know this sure. is an AI powered tool, and you talk about not interrupting the process, and agreed, that would totally make this uh, almost unusable if it interrupted process or introduced too much friction. So walk me through like, you know, as broad as I can ask this is, what is AI about Snapped? Yeah, it's it's basically uh, advanced pattern recognition. Um, so I think I think the important thing is is understanding the incredibly specific nuances that exist between different financial institutions' documents and what might make a PNC bank statement, as an example, fraudulent might not make a Bank of America statement fraudulent. So it's it's understanding the, as I mentioned, incredible nuances between the two. Um, and, and it's really at that kind of scale of large data that, that those patterns begin to, to emerge. So then do you have to call the all the banks across the country and get sample statements? Is that how it begins building the library? Or is it kind of as also as it goes, there's somewhat of a manual for anything new and then you're able to then work with and, and it, it teaches itself to get better and better at recognizing patterns. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's kind of D all the above. So we opened up a lot of bank accounts um, and had a lot of statements. We had our own you know database from our property management company um, of of documents. So we were obviously um, you know, just stripping the metadata away and then and looking at, you know, the individual, you know, the underlying code of the document, not the physical documents. And then, yeah, just a tremendous amount and a tremendous amount of research as well. Yeah. One of the, uh, you know, the, the pitch or the value props of SNAPS is, is not just that it is going to be able to detect tenant fraud, but an outcome of this is that owner operators and, you know, property management companies should see reduced evictions. Can you speak mm -hmm. to some of the results that clients of yours have seen and, and what that really means for their businesses? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I wish more property management companies would tell us more about their delinquency rate prior to Snapped and and afterward. Um, so so that's a, a bit of a challenge. And then and then also the the other part is that we pretty much. Our, our growth trajectory really started in early 2020, which is right as the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously the uh, the eviction moratoriums across the country um, that mm -hmm. kind of skew that data a bit. So comparing 2022 data to 2020 to rather to 2019 data isn't very apples and oranges. So um, unfortunately, I don't have hard and fast data that I feel comfortable broadcasting as if you use snapped then this will absolutely happen sure because um, yeah. we're just you know we're trying to be as as i mean we're a fraud detection business so we also can't be ourselves you gotta uh, have a high standard data. here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly but anecdotally yeah. we have we have uh have many a customer that has spoken to us about well we just did a lease up in atlanta georgia of a 400 plus unit building over the course of 10 months and we only had 50 dollars delinquent and this is something that we've never seen before in these sort of properties so we have we have customers all across the country who have mentioned lease ups or 
um, you know, how their, how their uh, uh, default rate has and delinquency rate has changed year over year. But unfortunately, we haven't had a large scale pilot or, or one-to-one relationship in data that I can, I can uh, mention. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be tough no matter what, right? I mean, like for, for the last mm-hmm. two years, none of this has been normal. And even right. if this year is as close to normal as possible, still the rates of rent increases have been tremendous. Uh, you still have fallout from, you know, uh, effects of the pandemic. And it's, right. it's totally changed work from home expectations and patterns. Uh, so that now we're like starting, almost like starting a whole new data set and a whole new set of patterns for much of the industry. Um so totally understood there. I, I did want to talk to, uh, you, you brought up a little bit about the growth and, you know, what I was able to dig up on the internet, you guys had tremendous growth um, in the last year or so. Um, you know, what do you attribute that growth to? And, and do you think, uh, do you anticipate that to continue at the same rate? Do you think it'll normalize a little bit or do you expect it to slow? Yeah, the, uh, great question. So yeah, just just on our growth, we uh, in 2020, we grew about 2000%. So we went from about 5000 units to 50,000 units. In 2021, we grew another 700%. So we went from that 50,000 units to 350,000 units. And, and, and today, we're, we're, we're currently sitting a couple of units shy of, of half a million, um, with with the goal of, of getting to a million units by the end of the year. So um, certainly have uh, very ambitious plans for this year. Um, yeah, and we, we uh, anticipated growing another another couple hundred percent this year. Of course, obviously going from two thousand percent to seven hundred percent. You know that obviously that that growth rate will slow. Which I, <laughs> otherwise, come on, guys. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pick up the pace. <laughs> yeah, we're doing the best we can. Okay, but uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but but yeah, look, I I think the, the question is, what do we attribute it to? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I think obviously we were solving a, a problem that was needed to be solved uh, as evidenced by, you know, our own experience and, and kind of the, the adoption rate. Um, and, and I think there's also a possibility, uh, although we, we can't know for sure that, that obviously the pandemic and these eviction moratoriums certainly had some sort of effect on well, if I put if I bring in an applicant who is fraudulent, uh, then I might never, or at least not for the foreseeable future, be able to to um, evict them. But I think there's also the understanding that as technology advances, that the skills required um, to edit a document um, in a way that is undetectable by the human eye only gets easier day after day. I mean, if you, I'm sure you can get it done on Fiverr with no problem. Yeah, I mean, you can get it done on Fiverr, no problem. You can also do it on your own machine incredibly easily. I mean, if you have Adobe set up on your computer, if you go to download a document from your online bank or payroll, it's probably going to automatically populate in Adobe. And when it when it does that, there's a button there that says edit PDF, and you can type in whatever information you want. And most likely, Adobe is going to match that font perfectly. So it is beyond easy in comparison to five years ago or 10 years ago um, to, to make, you know, documents that are completely undetectable by the human eye. Oof. Um, I think yeah. about that. I'm like, man, I, I'm, you know, I have standards for my rentals, but uh, maybe, I, maybe they're not good enough. 
I've I've gotten away with it. I haven't had any issues yet, so I've gotten lucky. Um, one of the uh, one of the things that specifically in your growth, I'm going to come back to this just a little bit mm-hmm. because obviously that's incredible scale. So, you know, I'm I'm guessing here then this means you guys are focused on like community, mid market, institutional players, or really those off of the NMHC, which I saw that you know you guys were successful in securing some of the top companies off that list. What are you hearing from them? as reasons they ever convinced like, yeah, we, we, we need to implement this yesterday. Yeah. I, so it, it's a few different things. So, uh, obviously the first one is, you know, delinquency, right. Right. And, and that being a problem in, you know, in, in, uh, in conjunction with the, you know, eviction moratoriums. Um, so that was obviously an issue, you know, one of the problems that we didn't necessarily think about when we were initially building this, um, that has made a big uh, impact to our customers has also been helping their teams stay in compliance with fair housing. So if you think about it, right, if you're if you're a leasing agent and you see a, let's say you've got a fake Wells Fargo document in front of you or what you perceive to be a fake Wells Fargo document, right? Because you see a ton and the math looks weird or maybe maybe the, the um, some of the elements on the, on the page that you're looking at, they, they look off, right? But the question is, well, how do you know that, right? This is a thought, a feeling, an emotion that you have about this document versus it being back, backed by math and science. And so what they've been really happy about is that this also allows their leasing teams to be able to reject applicants, uh, knowing that they have a math and science-based approach that is in compliance with fair housing, as opposed to calling out a document without any hard evidence which then might actually come back as a fair housing, you know, issue. So there's that. It's also, you know, the amount of time and research that is put into every single document that that is put in front of a leasing team, because, you know, if, if you're concerned that, that documents are inauthentic, well, then it requires a, you know, a lot of research sometimes, sometimes about the applicant and to their history, instead of just having this, this leasing team, you know, qualify the applicant, you know, they're, they're, they're required to be this, you know, forensic accountant. So, it's, you know, it's the reduction in time for their team. It's the fair housing compliance. It's obviously, you know, redu- reduction in, in eviction as well as uh, uh, delinquency. Yeah. You kind of touched on the fact that you, you know, you have the, the leasing agent handling the applications, you know, part-time forensic mm-hmm. agent, but I'm going to go ahead out on a limb here and assume that they're not the one making the purchase decision on bringing SNAP into, you know, an organization. Um, so maybe there's a, a, a separation of user and purchaser. How's that affected your, you know, ability to go to market and gain adoption? And, you know, what have you been able to do that's obviously worked as you've been able to gain such, uh, you know, aggressive growth the last few years? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes down to the, at least with, you know, the institutional organizations, you know, it, the, the regional managers really tend to have their finger on the pulse of understanding what their leasing teams are going through. So the regional managers have really been our, our best way in, right? Because they, they're, they're the ones who make that purchasing decision. And so they can, you know, if we're dealing with a, a C-level person at a institutional organization, they're, you know, in touch with the regional who knows what's going on on the ground. So that's, that that's really been been our way in, and I and I think I missed the rest of your question. So, <laughs> what what was the other part? No, it's okay. I mean, basically, you know, like because you know one of the challenges, especially when you're selling to organizations like this, is the person you're selling isn't the daily. That's user. exactly right. And so, luckily, the, the daily user is the one who feels it. That's right. You know, so to speak, 
and if they can communicate the value up to the the buyer, right, then it works. So that, I'm I'm just curious how you've navigated that. Yeah, it's it's you know, luckily for us, again, it's really been that the the regional manager understands the issues uh, and day to day struggles of leasing teams. And there are, from what we've been told, many a leasing, or rather, many many a regional manager who will sometimes get past these documents. And they're actually being asked whether or not you know these are authentic because obviously mm-hmm. they're a leasing team and the building manager doesn't know. So so luckily for us, they make that buying decision, and the majority of them really do seem to understand what's what's happening at the ground level. Got it. Uh, I'd love to talk uh, a little bit about the pricing strategy, or you know how you guys make mm-hmm. your money. Can you break that down? Is this on a annual contract? By yeah, sure. By unit by tenant. Um, I could see a lot of different ways this goes. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so we have two pricing models. We have a, a per unit per month charge, and we have a transactional cost. Uh, so, our per unit per month charge is a dollar fifty per unit per month. So, as an example, right, hundred unit property, hundred and fifty bucks a month. Mm-hmm. That's pretty easy. Uh, and then the other one is a transactional cost, so thirty five dollars per applicant scanned. That being said, ninety eight percent of our customers are in the uh, uh, unit charge. Um, what we found is that, you know, for obvious reasons, there's a lot of uh, uh, seasonality when it comes to leasing, right? It's spring and summer are, are typically the, you know, the peak of leasing season and, you know, fall kind of lagged behind. And of course, in winter, it's, it's, it's relatively dead. So what, what we found is that uh, properties are more interested in having a predictable monthly cost than having that cost kind of range wildly totally. in, in peak leasing season. Yeah. It's kind of hard to report back to your investors that uh, these costs might go up or down, you know, yep. 40%. We're not really sure, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly going to instill right. a lot of confidence yeah, exactly versus right. this is a fixed cost and we know what it is every month and we can project over the next three years what that's going to look like. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. We'll shift a little bit here. Um, I'll talk about, you know, we talked, I think we talked a little bit about um, the percentage of fraud, but I don't know if we got into mm-hmm. like the volume of applications that that really means. So 12% of applications having uh, some level of manipulation or editing, altering, but what are we talking about in like gross numbers of what, what does that look like? Yeah. About 30,000 applicants a month is what we, I, yeah. Last month we did 30,000 applicants. So, so that's just what you guys caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, oh yeah. And, so, so if we have a what 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 is the um, well the total rental units in a, in the Amer- in America is what fifty million, is that right? Yeah, I think last I saw it was forty seven and a half million. So, so yeah, and, and you guys it's, are, it's a moving target, obviously. Yeah, and so you guys are just under a million on your way to a million. So, mm-hmm. so so we we can assume that it's a lot more than thirty thousand applications every single month. Uh, some some level of fraud. I mean, it could be a multiple of forty to fifty. From that easily based on rough estimates here. easily yeah. yeah easily it's you know look we're we're obviously focused in the you know the institutional market that's where we you know predominantly that's that's you yeah. know where our customers are um but yeah i mean look our, our question has always been if this is in the institutional market you know what are we seeing in the single family market you know even extrapolating further out, you know, what's, you know, what do we, you know, what might be happening in mortgage? What might, what might be happening in car loans? What might be happening in consumer loans? And is this only happening in the U.S.? Um, so there are uh, quite a few, hopefully, 
uh, exciting questions that we can we can hopefully answer over, over the next few years. Now, one of the things I was curious about is if you see a difference in types of community, class of building, or even geography, or is this something that you see kind of across the board, whether affordable housing all the way up to luxury apartments? Yeah. So the answer to that is, is yes, it's, it's remarkably consistent. Um, now we're definitely seeing some parts of the country, um, having higher or lower fraud rates. Um, as an example, Georgia, for some reason, and, and again, I, ha we have no idea why, but we're seeing the highest fraud rate month after month is in Georgia. Um, it's typically around 20, 20% in comparison to California, which tends to be 9%. So there are, so to answer your question there, there are hotbeds around the country that have higher or, or lower fraud rates. And, and if anybody's interested, if they go to snap.com, uh, they'll see that each month what we do is we put up a, a map of the US and we, we then relay what that what the fraud rate was in that state the previous month. Um, but yeah, we're, we're also not seeing much variability as it, as it pertains to asset class. Um, it's a very it's a very odd thing. Um, but but there are also some properties that have a, a way higher fraud rate than let's say the, the literally the building across the street. Uh, we have had some incredibly, you know, some, some of the, some of the largest institutions in the country have called us and said, Hey, we're trying to figure this out because we, we see one, two, three main street has like a 30% fraud rate, which believe it or not, we've seen some properties like that, but one, two, three, four, five main street, which is literally on the other side of the street that wow. we also manage has a 5% fraud rate. Like is the leasing, like what, like what's going on there. Huh. And the reality is we have no idea. It just seems that some properties are lightning rods. That'd be, I would love to know if, if it's like, if washer and dryer in unit, then chances of fraud increase. You know? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, you know, what well, are, what are the things that, you know, that pulls the fraudsters out, out of the woodworks, if the, so to speak. But, um, it's not, I'm not terribly surprised that it would be consistent across, across the board. Those who are going to maybe not tell the whole truth or flat out lie are going to do that regardless of where they're at. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the one theory that, that I have, and again, this is a theory, so, but it's, you know, obviously when these properties are being designed and, and a lot of them are, are, are new construction, right? They're being built in a manner that is looking to attract a resident, right? And so, you know, during that tour, um, the applicant is likely creating an emotional connection with the space and you know, the amenities and the yep. view or the countertops are obviously playing into this aspirational lifestyle that someone wants to live. And, and if we think about just the consumerism in the United States, I mean, every brand, every financial institution is constantly, you know, pushing us and begging us to spend more, to leverage more, to put more on credit, to, to spend more than, than we have available. So if anything, mm -hmm. it, it, it makes perfect sense to me that all of these uh, markers indicate and 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 almost persuade people of like, yeah, maybe I don't quite qualify, but yeah, I'm going to start driving for Uber. I'll cut down on my expenses, or I'm going to get this promotion soon. And mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. clearly feel that they can um, slightly overextend themselves, and what they might not realize is that what they're doing is actually financial fraud. I literally drove past a motel yesterday and not maybe not the best of uh, area of town, by the way, I live in for my, 
the listeners know this. Uh, you may not know this. I, I live out, outside of Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. And the motel sign said, move in today, pay later. And I've never <laughs> in my life seen that. And I was just like, that... Like, I just got done picking up my car from the dealership, you know, doing regular service. And I saw an Affirm. They had an Affirm poster mm-hmm. behind the counter at the Subaru. I mean, you know, buy now, pay later. And then I'm driving and I pass a motel. Yep. And it's not the best looking motels. And it's moving now, pay later. And I was like, what is going on here yeah. that that's even possible? What is All happening? of these things, are they're all telling the same narrative. Hmm. That's fascinating. It's something that I think that's probably going to be more and more to to keep an eye on. I'm curious to y- your thoughts on this, and obviously you have no way of knowing mm-hmm. this, but do you think that tenant fraud has been on the rise, or do you think we're just only now at a place where you know, we can centralize some of this data to better understand what's going on? You know, again, anecdotal, don't know this don't take this as fact, but my suspicion is that it's going up based on all of the, you know, the things that you and I have discussed. Um, and also because, you know, as I said before that, you know, the advancement of technology makes it easier. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, not to get political, but obviously, you know, the income gap is, is getting wider. So to me, it just seems like we have this perfect environment of all of these, you know, reasons why not only is this, has this been getting worse, but should it seemingly get worse for the for the foreseeable future? Well, those are not uh, the things that I wanted to hear. So well, this has been depressing. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and spin it a little bit more positively. I want to talk about um, sure. some of the developments and growth of Snapped. Uh, you guys recently closed a round of funding, which was quite a jump from your, your seed stage. Um, so can you share more about that? Who led the round, who else invested, how much, and what is this round going to fund? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so, so we just raised a series a, uh, we raised a hundred million dollars from, uh, inside partners, um, and our, uh, who obviously led the round. Um, and we also had a follow on investment from inertia, uh, VC who, uh, did our series seed. Um, and, uh, if it sounds surreal to you, it's also surreal to us. It's uh, it's incredibly exciting, and and I think, you know what what Insights Vision is incredibly similar to ours, which is, you know, look, for the moment we are first to market in the property management vertical, and um, you know, although we've made some exciting gains thus far, there's a there's a long way to go. Um, and there's also a lot more of the market that we're not even, you know, speaking with, much less have them as customers. So there's this greenfield opportunity in property management, um, but they also share the belief with us that this must be happening in more verticals and in more countries. And so the idea is to not only expand our product offering within property management, expand our sales and marketing efforts uh, within property management, but it's to thoughtfully over time, um, with always keeping the intention of, of having focus, um, to begin to expand our product into uh, the other the other uh, verticals and 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 potentially even even countries where where this is uh, also a problem. So that's that's kind of the that's kind of the long term vision um, of where we of where we see this thing going. But in the short term, it's it's how can we add more value to our customers in, in the real estate vertical. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's plenty of that still here in the U.S. and many yeah, countries. Yeah, most definitely. Um, you know, I think even still on like the tenant screening side, there. It's weird to think of the U.S. ahead in some areas on housing because I always feel like it's so slow and behind everything else. But some areas right. like tenant screening, we do have some pretty rigid processes, or at least unique. Yeah. Um, Definitely. And I think that's gaining adoption in other places as rental housing becomes more formalized or institutionalized. And so I could see where that, you know, being very early on the trajectory of growth uh, in other countries uh, for something like this, then that kind of takes like the true, I mean, if you, even if you just do real estate, but on a global scale, the addressable market, like if you, have you put a number to that? If someone said to you, like, Daniel, give me, define the TAM here. What, what is that number? Yeah. Um, you know, the answer is that, uh, we actually, we don't know. Um, and in fact, when, um, when our investors came along, we actually weren't raising at the time. So I never put, (laughs) I never put together an updated, uh, uh, investment deck for our series a, because again, we weren't, we weren't raising at the time. So, um, I actually haven't done that research. I have, seen some research that our investors put together uh but i'm i'm not allowed to share those numbers i i I like that because this is uh, yeah we just we 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 decided that we didn't want to deal with the argument of telling them the tam was real so we just didn't include it (laughs) (laughs) Um, because you usually hear the other way around is like you have to convince them no this is real like this is where it's going to head to but obviously i think that you guys are kind of charting a path that hasn't been laid before you so it's very difficult to see where it goes, but obviously the growth is demonstrating that this has legs and has a long way to go yet. It's been incredibly exciting to have a new partner in that has Mm -hmm. at least as much belief in uh, the, uh, the upside of of what we're building uh, uh, as we do. It's incredibly inspiring. And and, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all, we're all incredibly excited. Let me ask you this, and then we'll jump to the my favorite segment, uh, the two bottom segments of the show here. Why is now the time to build this product? You know, that's an interesting question. I think we're I think we're at this intersection of um, where first off, so we only collect digital documents, um, so we can't validate, you know, a scanned document, um, and so we're we're at this spot where the vast majority of applicants in the US have mobile banking, but even in the extreme edge case that someone doesn't have mobile banking, you can at the very least email your bank and they will provide you with digital bank statements. And that the vast majority of payroll businesses have an online portal. So at least in that respect, um, we're in this spot where it's easily attainable for an applicant to at least get a bank statement and or a pay stub for for verification purpose. So I think that's why three, four, five, ten years ago, you would have you would have had a, a quite the uphill battle uh, building something like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. An, we are very much interesting time of tech, the market being ready to adopt the need for it. Uh, so many intersections there. Appreciate that. Well, we're going to move on to what I like to call for the future. For the future, it's a segment where we get to ask each guest who comes in the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Daniel, are you ready to play? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Question number one, what does Snapped look like one year from now? 
Yeah, I mean, my, my hope would be that, um, you know, we, we penetrate further into the into the property management market, um, that we're able to add some additional features that our customers have been have been asking for some some other areas of of fraud that they're seeing as well. And uh, if, if the time is right, then then hopefully we also have a, a customer somewhere in the in the you know financial vertical. So consumer loan, some somewhere in that space. Very cool. All right, this one, we didn't talk a lot about this, but it's something I've been following. So it's a little bit of a, a curveball. No, this could be the knuckleball here. Uh, <laughs> throwing a knuckleball at you. Do you think we're likely to see more or less restrictions on tenant screenings through legislation in the next three years and why? No doubt more. Um, the evidence that I would give is, I mean, of course, I'm in California, and in particular, I'm in Los Angeles County, uh, which might be, if not the most, one of the most restrictive counties and states in the country as it pertains to tenant screening. I'm yet to see any evidence that would suggest that things are going to get that would that would that things are going to lighten up. Um, all all I see and read and um, uh, legislation that is being proposed is is you know removal of you know uh, criminal history uh, questions about you know whether or not credit is is reasonable to look at um, and whether or not screening is even you know legal. Uh, my concern is that this only gets worse. All right. Question number three: What's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? You know what? I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> I'm not okay. You know, you know what? I will. So, um, you know, obviously, I'm, my my answer here is biased, but I, I actually think there's as it comes to tenant screening, I think there's actually too much reliance on credit history, and I'll tell you why. The reason is because over the past couple of years, um, you know, due to the pandemic, there are there is a meaningful portion of uh, of Americans that through no fault of their own, um, got totally blindsided by the pandemic. And as a result had to leverage themselves on credit or were unable to pay their, you know, their bills and they did what they had to, to survive. And as a result of that, they have had their, um, credit histories unfairly affected. And because of the reliance that, that, that a lot of management and ownership groups have on credit history, there are residents who would who would be great residents who would absolutely pay their rent that aren't um given the chance because of something they had no control over yeah I'll, you know I'll, I'll add to that a small anecdote i mean during the pandemic my, when my dad was still with us and going through cancer treatment i was driving from philly and chicago every other week to to help i missed mm -hmm. a single credit card payment. I've never met, I never missed a single payment ever, you know, in my entire credit. Right. And it went down 50 points and it still hasn't fully recovered. I'm like, it was like 50 bucks. <laughs> you know? so right. Just, You're like, and how does any, how does that make sense? It doesn't sense? make any sense. And you know, uh, you know, personally, um, it, that was like a, a bit of a wake up call. I was like, this is impossible. You know, life happens to us all. We need a, right. we need a, a system that is forgiving to that. That's right. All right. Question number four here. Last one for For the Future. What's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? Hmm. 
What's one thing that I think will will totally fade away? Interesting. So I, I don't know about totally fade away, but I'm pretty bullish on the on the self guided tour. I, I'm I, I really I'm I'm a yeah I think as as it pertains to at least in the institutional market I think you know on the mom and pop end you you might always need someone who you know can open up the unit and whatnot but I think on the institutional end I'm I'm, I'm very bullish on the self guided tour and you know that's not to say that there won't ever be in person tours I, I think I think that 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 personal touch is always um, a positive thing uh, mm-hmm. you know in in certain areas but. I think if we if we fast forward, you know, sometime in the future that that the vast majority of tours for vacant units and in institutional properties will 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 be self-guided. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree on that. And uh, looking forward to that. I'd love to see some of those penthouses way high up in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. They're pretty they're pretty cool. All right, we're gonna move on to the last three, Daniel. These are questions about you, so our listeners get to better know you. Sure. First one here is what are you reading? Um, yeah, so what I've been reading is uh, oh god, what is it called? Uh, you know, one of my one of my investors sent it to me. Which um, uh, is it? How to how to be a better CEO? I'm actually trying to remember the title. It's something about it's something. The title isn't all that important. It's, it's the contents, about, right? Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I. Uh, I'm at a loss for words right now, but it's something about being a better CEO, which may or may not be a cause for concern, if that's being sent to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's an investor believing that you can execute what's the, the wisdom contained within that book. Um, question number two, who are you learning from? Yeah, look, we come from a real estate background. We do not come from a tech background. So the advisors at Snapped are um, incredibly important to not only myself, but my co-founder and, and to my executive team. So we're incredibly lucky to have a network of advisors on our board um, and then just just a just a just a normal board of advisors. And, and, and these are uh, a group of individuals that we lean on on a daily basis. Also, special shout out to Insight Partners has their their center of excellence, um, which is essentially a, a you know a, a team of people um, that are you know dedicated um, to 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 answering questions. So we're using them as well. And in fact, I, I even have a uh, I even have a CEO coach um, named named uh, named Dave who I I speak with on a, a very regular basis. So it's it's more about um, <laughs> who am I not learning from because uh, we're trying to see around corners as best we can. Love it. Last one here. What inspires you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, having a, a log jam uh, of how, how to how to get it out. I, I think I think what inspires me is is uh, it's two things. First off, it's it's purpose. Uh, I think I think one of the most important things that any of us can have is a reason to get out of bed, um, and I think that purpose can can change on a daily basis or a weekly basis. So maybe, maybe the purpose on, on a certain day has to do with something work related. Maybe it has to do something spiritually, spiritually, spiritually related, like a tongue tied, um, you know, or it's business goals or it's what it's whatnot. But I think, but I think always making sure that, that you find what that, what that purpose is, what that burning desire is each day and, and, and cultivating it. Yeah. I appreciate that. 
Uh, Daniel, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you putting up with some of my shenanigans at the top of the show here, uh, making you go into to baseball here. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, for those who want to connect with you or more about Snapped or if they want to get that uh, fraud report that I know you guys send out through email that I talked about at the top of the show, where do they go and how do they do that? Yeah, easiest way is just to go to www.snapped.com. That's S-N-A-P-P-T.com. Uh, and yeah, click on the contact us. There we go. And I'll, of course, have all the links are in the show notes and description. So if you need all those, you can find them at technest.io. Um, thanks so much. And we'll see you around. Thanks a lot, Nate. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right into your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.